In the name of our Lord Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why be a Christian? Now, maybe a few generations ago, or for some maybe not so long ago, this question was never a consideration. Of course you are a Christian. What else were you going to be? But in our nation and world today, each person is presented with a buffet of options. You can be a Christian, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Jehovah's Witness, or a Freemason. And sometimes you can even be more than one of these all at the same time. Amid all these options, what gives Christianity the right to an exclusive claim upon your soul? One professor has put it, you should be a Christian because Christianity is true. Can it be so simple? Yes. As we see in Elijah's case, in his spirited debate with the worshippers of Baal, he stated the options plainly. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And the test was, then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers with fire, he is God. Observe then the conclusion, the irrefutable fact that the Lord is God. So we follow him. And here is how his truth differs from all other gods in other religions. First, he's more powerful than false gods. And second, he offers grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, therefore, let us hear the true God. It might go without saying, in fact, that if the Lord is the only true God, of course he's more powerful than false gods. They have no power because they don't exist. Well, if we're talking about the truth, yes, of course that's true, but we're also talking about the hearts of men. Look how powerful Baal was in Israel. The whole nation had turned to his worship. And the hearts of the people were all wrested away from the truth by that false god. Look how powerful a false god is. It's powerful enough to conceal the truth. I don't want you to think I'm talking about other people. False worship and false gods take up residence in every heart even in the hearts of Christians. You know the Ten Commandments, and you regularly confess that you've broken these commandments. And James tells us, in fact, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. And therefore, if you have sinned at all, that means you have also broken the first commandment, which declares you shall have no other gods. Ergo, you have harbored false gods in your heart. And this is simple to prove in another way. If you've sinned in any way, then you've broken the commandments of the only true God. And that's as much as telling him that you would rather follow a different way of life than the one that he has ordained. And therefore, you revere something else more than him. 
See how powerful false gods are. They take root in every human heart. But the Lord is more powerful than all false gods. This is demonstrated clearly in the account of Elijah on Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal called from morning to noon, but the writer tells us there was not a sound. No one answered. So Elijah began mocking them. Maybe Baal was distracted or busy or away on a journey, or maybe he was asleep. The prophets called to their God more fervently. Even according to their practice, they cut themselves with daggers and spears until their blood flowed. See again the power of a false god motivating a worshiper to mutilate himself to appease him. Into the evening they cried and prayed and wailed and cut, but there was no sound. No one answered. There was no response. In the case of who would be the god of the entire nation of Israel, Baal was powerless. Elijah's actions are famous. He reconstructed an altar that had been dedicated to the Lord, the true God. He dug a trench around it. He cut a bull and placed it on the altar. He had four jars of water filled three times and poured over the sacrifice and the altar so much water that it soaked into the wood and filled the trench. He then offered this simple prayer. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things by your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back to you. I want you to notice particularly these words, I have done all these things by your word, he said. Those words will be important to consider later. But God responded, first of all. Fire from the Lord fell on the sacrifice and on the wood, the stones and the dirt. It even licked up the water in the trench. God's power is clear. He is able to provide fire. And even such a powerful fire that it can consume water-soaked meat, wood, and stones, and even a standing pool of water. Well, this was enough to convince the people there who called out their confession, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. All right, you might be wondering if it's that easy, why doesn't God just throw fire out of heaven now? Why doesn't he prove his existence to all the people who don't believe in him with such a miracle? If he really wants souls to be saved, we might be thinking, isn't he powerful enough to prove his existence for us? Remember those words I asked you to keep in mind. Elijah prayed, I have done all these things by your word. He'd been commanded by God to follow this particular liturgy that he had done on that day to give witness to the truth of God in this matter. You and I don't have the same command. Instead, this is the command that we have now. Therefore, go and gather disciples from all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to keep all the instructions I have given you. 
And surely I am with you always until the end of the age. We are given proof of the true God by water, again, this time in baptism. It witnesses to the true God because it is a confession and a connection to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth of Christianity is founded upon that historical event that Jesus, who was dead, rose to life again. And therefore, the word, the teaching we share, the gospel, which is given fire by the Holy Spirit from Pentecost onward, that is all centered in that event. And here, therefore, is how powerful the Lord is, more powerful than all false gods. He can and does create and sustain faith through words, through water, through the meat and blood of the sacrifice that is his son. Remember what Abraham told the rich man who wanted a miracle performed for his family. Abraham replied to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The word and the sacraments are the powerful means by which God proves his truth. And in that truth is the great and important difference between him and all false gods that he offers grace and mercy. Compare the responses of Baal and the Lord again. Baal ignored his prophets, letting them cry until they were hoarse, dance until they were sore, cut and mutilate themselves absurdly. He demanded so much blood and praise and pain, and still it was not enough to motivate him to grant their request. On the other hand, the Lord sent his fire on the sacrifice that he had made acceptable. Even a sacrifice that all would have said was impossible to burn. There's great meaning here. To go into it, I want to briefly survey some of the Old Testament that we've covered so far this year. Notice that the altar used for Elijah's sacrifice was the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. When Israel came into the promised land, according to God's direction, they had built altars at various places to worship him. This was one of those places. At those altars, sacrifices would have been made to God to follow the pattern of the sacrifices in the tabernacle that they had traveled with through the wilderness. And in the tabernacle, here is how the first sacrifices went. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat pieces on the altar. Sound familiar? The fire in the tabernacle was not kindled by human hands. It was sent by the glory of the Lord and kept burning every day. In fact, there was one event in which the sons of Aaron attempted to set their own fire on the altar. And God's fire came out and consumed them. The point is, God makes sacrifices acceptable. No human being can perform what God does. Again, notice Elijah's construction of this altar. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come and proclaimed, your name shall be Israel. By these twelve stones, Elijah first of all demonstrated what God it was 
who would send the fire, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who had selected the nation of Israel for himself. By it also, Elijah symbolically brought all the people of Israel into the altar. This was a sacrifice for them all. Like the priest who wore a breastplate into the tabernacle, and on that breastplate were 12 stones, each symbolizing one of the tribes of Israel, so that his work, the priest's work, would be counted for all the people. Elijah also was here sanctifying the nation. Further, you see the four jars of water. Four jars, each filled three times. Another twelve. The nation had dirtied itself with false worship. Their sins stained them. Elijah offered the water that cleansed them. This sacrifice, the bull that was cut in pieces and placed on the altar, was to be burned not merely as a way for God to defeat Baal, it was, a, it was to be burned in place of all the people of Israel. It was a sacrifice that took their place. And yes, Elijah suffered greatly as well. We've heard some of that already. At times it seems that God ignored him. And there would be many more times like that after this. In that appearance, therefore, God didn't seem to treat him any differently than Baal treated his prophets. But Baal had no mercy. No false god has any mercy. Some might seem to. There are false gods who will tell you that you're fine, that you can live how you want without fear of punishment, but those gods are lying. They have rendered their own existence meaningless. And with it, the lives of their worshippers. The Lord, however, who is God, he upholds the law. Meaning that what is good and right and just and holy is tied up in him. And this is an identity that he offers to you through those same means of grace mentioned earlier. The overflowing waters of baptism, the fire of the word, the flesh and blood of his sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And there's how it is given to you. He's had mercy upon you. Instead, he has punished his own son, caused him to be baptized with fire as he died on the cross, so that your baptism unites you to that death and resurrection. Repent, therefore. That means turn away from all false gods and to the true God. This is a daily exercise. Daily you go again to that altar where the sacrifice was made in your place. Where God elected to save you and punish his son instead. Why do any of this? Because it's true. Because the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen. Our service continues on page 70 with the singing of the offertory. <laughs>